This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked me not to read an ad, so I'm just going to thank them for their constant friendship and support. Enjoy the show. I do my hair toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is Mary Robinette Kowal, and she talks to me about her love of puppetry. She's both a professional puppeteer and a celebrated author, and this was such a great conversation, uh, especially the areas where she kind of drew comparison between the two arts and the ways that she finds love in expressing things about humanity and storytelling via either the subtleties of uh, what you can accomplish with puppetry or the uh, language itself uh, in in words. And uh, you can definitely tell that she has a gift in all these areas because it's a great conversation about all of the above. Uh, if you enjoyed this, obviously you can check out uh, – the projects that she talks about in here or any of her books. But I would also direct you to try out her podcast. It's called uh, Writing Excuses, and she co-hosts it with fellow authors Brandon Sanderson and Dan Wells and uh, cartoonist Howard Taylor. Uh, So it's little short snippets of these wonderful, interesting writers um, and their thoughts on the craft, Uh, and I think that sounds great. There's a big... uh, month-long kind of campaign among podcasting uh, for March called Tripod, uh, and it's getting people to discover new podcasts and also getting uh, people who don't listen to podcasts into the idea of it. So uh, if any of this strikes you as listenable or shareable, I encourage you to participate in that because uh, I've come to a point where I just get so much joy out of this medium and in listening to uh, other entries in the medium as well. So I'd love to just be a part of it. Share it on things. Hashtag tripod. There's also this great website that kind of like breaks it down for people who are unfamiliar with uh, the medium. I think that's all I've got there. If you want to see a live comedy show in Chicago, might I recommend Thursday nights at 9.30 at the Annoyance Theater. My group hosts a show called The Fishbowl. We will close out the night with an improv set in the middle of the show. Some uh, Annoyance Theater students and uh, veterans of the theater and directors and teachers and things like that will get the opportunity to play together and combine forces. And uh, that's kind of the gist of the show overall. We close out the night after that. My group's called Sight Unseen, and it's the most fun performance thing that I do. So I love when people come check it out. I think that's all I've got. I've uh, said plenty already, and this is such a great conversation that it speaks for itself. My guest today is Mary Robinette Cole, and uh, she's going to be talking to me about her love of puppetry. Yes. Did I mispronounce it? No, you did it absolutely correctly. Yes. Yes. I second-guessed myself immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, how nice it is to hear my name said correctly. (sighs) I'll never not do the Mary Robinette. So that part is like... Yeah, no, no. It's And it also such a relief to be with someone that I don't have to explain that I have a double-barreled name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I've just, I've gotten used to being Mary for most people, but I'm like... 
On dad's side of the family, Southern, Mary Robinette, all the time. Yeah, I I will even like sign an email, Mary Beth, and purposefully leave off my last name. And people will still write back and Mary. And people will still write back Mary. Mm-hmm. One time someone wrote back Stephanie, and that was just a real, <laughs> a real problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people. And they're... Cut and paste or lack of reading comprehension. And I'm sure that's, it was some combination of those things. Because uh, it was someone just trying to like get on a show that I book. But it was just like, really? You're not going to yeah. take, you weren't even in the ballpark, but. No. <laughs> well, it was, it was a traditionally feminine name. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. Th- you know. It could have been way off. It could have been. And and also from the European tradition. So that, you know, actually general ballpark. <laughs> yeah, he, he could have said like Mulan and then where would we be? No. Well, what is your the origin of your love for puppetry? Well, um, but they're cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Um, so I, I was born the same year as Sesame Street. Oh, wow. Let's, let's just go ahead and get that out That's of the way. That's awesome. It is. So you literally grew up with Sesame literally Street. Literally grew up with Sesame Street. And like everyone, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was such a just a, a part of life that it didn't actually occur to me that it was a job. Yeah, of course. So when I was in high school and I was one of those kids who, who like did everything, I was like, let me be in theater and let me write and mm. let me do art and oh, there's music. And a friend of mine went to a church that had a puppet troupe. Cool. Hands for God puppetry. Hands for God. Hands for God. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I got very lucky because the our puppet troop leaders turned out to um, to have really put in the effort to train us. That's wonderful. So I didn't wind up acquiring a lot of bad habits, which a lot of people do when they start puppetry, and then you have to untrain them. Mm-hmm. So um, so I went to college. I was art education with a minor in theater and speech because that was the closest that I could come to combining everything I wanted to do. That's awesome. I was doing Little Shop of Horrors. I love that show. Me too. It's I'm one totally of my favorite addicted. musicals. I've done the giant man-eating plant in eight different yes. productions. Yes. Yes. That's yes. amazing. Um, so <laughs> Just the puppetry for it? Just the puppetry. Have you done all of them or do you just do the biggest one? I do all three. Yeah. Uh, it depends. Yes. Every now and then they'll, or uh, uh, I say all three, the f- pod number two is operated by Seymour. Right. So. Yeah. You got the fake arm wrapped yep. around that bad yeah. boy. Yeah. yeah. And occasionally I'm in a production where they're like, oh, let us, you know, we just, we feel like it's going to be better to use your expertise in the audience. Um so because they want a big strapping guy in the, oh, in the pup, in pod four. And I'm look like, at you and you're, they're like, uh, underestimate you. Yeah, and they're like, oh, there's no possible way you could do the puppet. I'm like, um, despite the fact that I empirically have because I have a resume right. that demonstrates that I have, in fact, but no, that's fine. That's fine. You, oh. think, you think that I can't lift that. And then the guys get in there and they're like, oh, it's so heavy. I'm like, uh-huh. I know. I know. <laughs> Here, let me show you how to do this. I can't get the puppet to do that. But I just did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sad for you, big strapping young man. <laughs> um, That's what we're talking like size of this table. Oh, no, no. It's bigger than this table. Yeah. And, and for, okay, for our, for our listening audience, yeah. um, Audrey 2 Pod 4 uh, is seven feet long and about four to four and a half feet tall, depending yeah. on uh, when it's in the, the operating resting. position, resting stage. Um, and weighs between 80 to 125 pounds. Jesus. F. Uh, and I have performed the 125-pound version at a time in my life when I weighed 127 pounds. That is insane. 
So you couldn't even carry the thing around, but you can operate the puppet. Like, no, I walk down stage with it. Like, I would lift it up and walk down stage with it. Dang. There's a certain amount of masochistic pleasure. Yeah. Um, I bet you're sweating like nuts by the end yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. They, because they, they're, you know, it's totally enclosed. So you don't breathe mm-hmm. at all. You're basically using your whole body up mm-hmm. and down, yeah. right? Yeah. And in fact, it's called a body puppet for that exact reason. There you go. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, such a kick doing that show. Um, oh, so how I became in love with puppetry. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing Little Shop of Horrors and a professional puppeteer in college uh, came to see the show. And I'm like, people pay you to, to, to do this? Because it had never occurred to me. That's amazing. So it, did you just get to talk to the puppeteer after the show? Yeah. And I pretty much changed career choices on the spot. Man. Because, um, you know, this is the funny thing. And and this is this is actually the thing that I feel like is is relevant to, to a lot of people is that it, it just really seriously didn't occur to me that it was a job. And what I have realized... Especially in the creative yeah. industry. Well, and my mom was an arts administrator. Ha! <laughs> you know? But... but but basically, I think what my brain had done was, oh, I love Sesame Street, which is on PBS. And we all know from the fundraisers, <laughs> fund drives that PBS is entirely volunteer run. So, of course, all of the puppeteers must be Our volunteers. Or, yeah, volunteers yeah. as well. Wrong. Oh, my gosh. Wrong. That's so funny. And, and since getting into it, I've discovered, you know, how much more puppetry is out there. And it's, it's so... Um, it's really the theater of the possible. Like, anything you can imagine you can figure out a way to get a puppet to do it. And and you can be anything as a puppeteer too. And that really as a performer, you know, as a as an actor, when I'm when I'm a fleshy <laughs> uh, meat actor or fleshy, those are our two derogatory terms. Um, uh, That's really funny. Yeah. You're a fleshy, I'm a plushy. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's very simple. Um, but you know, I'm I'm typecast for for I'm a, you know, 5'7 white female, usually with red hair, <laughs> uh, and of a certain age. Mm-hmm. You know, I can go a couple of years off, but not, but it's always going to be that. Mm-hmm. And as a puppeteer, I don't even have to be a person. I don't even have to be human. Like, That's so, amazing. I can generate a one-page resume of nothing but dog rolls. <laughs> here, here, let me give you one of my favorite lines. <laughs> Ah, yes. That's amazing. I love that. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. I've thought about that where where voice acting is concerned. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar. Voice acting is very much like puppetry without the pain. Yeah. (laughs) It's uh, easier in a lot of ways because the voice acting comes along with puppetry. Yeah, yeah. It's um, because you're usually the bread and butter of most puppeteers tears in the United States is going into elementary schools um, or, or libraries, but but performing for children. And mm-hmm. in order to make a living, you generally are looking at a cast of one to two people. Wow. Like the most that I toured with was three. Yeah. Which means that you're playing multiple characters. Like we did um, Pied Piper, yeah. which was a 45-minute opera, uh, operetta with 35 minutes of sung music, two puppeteers doing all of that. And we had 18 characters. At one point, we had five of them active on stage at the same time. Jesus. And there were also places where I was singing duets with myself. Five. Yeah. Yeah, That's only four hands. (laughs) It's four hands and feet. Oh, my God. Feet. You can never overlook 
all of your extremities. The puppetry of the feet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How could you make a one-page resume of just f- roles that you played with your feet? No. No. Although I know people who could. <laughs> just people who are that good? Just people who are that good. <laughs> well, there, that's actually a, a specific style. There's uh, the foot puppetry. Okay. Um, there's, uh, I wish I could remember the name of the company, um, but they do just this beautiful work where it's basically their feet. But you, you remember Senior Winches? The, the um, closed box. The, yes. l- the little hand with the eyes drawn on him. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay. It's basically feet with googly eyes and, uh, and, and then a cloth coming down to create a body and then the puppeteer's hands as their hands. I think I've seen some version of this before. Probably not live, but... Yeah, it's it's on YouTube. It's pretty pretty spectacular. <laughs> um, so they could they could I'm sure generate a one page resume. Right, right. <laughs> so what's the trajectory after that? Like once you knew it was on the table, uh, did you tr- fi- try to find ways while you're still in school to do more? Yeah. So I I started interning with uh, with a puppeteer. Her name was Dee Braxton. Uh, and this is in Greenville, North Carolina. And at the time, I was like, well, this is great because she owned her own home. She worked a couple of days a week. Uh, she had more gigs than she could do. So she started nice. handing them to me. And um, I realized later that the reason was because she was the only puppeteer in a three-county radius in a very rural county. Uh, so she, she just kind of had a monopoly. She had a, yep. It's a little different when you're in a city, in a big city. Uh, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I interned with her and then went off to the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta, Georgia, um, which at the time had the best internship program in the country. Cool. Uh, and it was run by Peter Hart. Um, they still have an internship program, and it went through a dip. I believe it's now back to being uh, being f- really great. Uh-huh. Uh, but they treat you like a full cast member. Cool. Um, and give you classes on the side. Cool. So I, that's the best way to do oh, it. It's so good. So it's just this, it was a three-month deep dive immersion into puppetry and, and being serious about it. And it was also uh, their, their shows run for, um, run for a, a quarter of the year. So I was in a show for this big chunk of time. And and there's nothing like that kind of repetition mm. um, and working with really master puppeteers. Um, and also I got very lucky because uh, George Latshaw, who uh, was the dean of American puppetry, we would call him, <laughs> um, was directing it. And he was in his 80s at the time. Wow. 70s or 80s. Um, and he was you know, phenomenal. Um, there's a book. It's got a new title. The old title was... Puppetry, the ultimate disguise, which is the one that I direct people to when they're like, you know, I want to, what should I? Because he he talks about puppetry and puppet acting, cool in ways that are um, actionable and reproducible. Awesome, uh, as opposed to a lot of them, which are you know, well, and this is true with acting books of any sort, where they're, oh, you just have to feel the moment, right? That's, yeah, that's not, that doesn't tell you what to do with your arms. No, no. Um, so he was, it, it was just, it was an amazing experience. And I fully intended to go back to college and finish my degree and did not because I kept working. Because <laughs> you kept getting gigs. Man, yeah. that's like, 
looking back, you have to be like, wait a minute, that's what this was supposed to be for, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, and when I when I thought about going back to school, it was I looked at the credits that I had left, and and I didn't have enough. I didn't have enough for life experience, mm. you know. So it was basically okay. I'm going to have to stop an active career to go back to college to take P.E. Oh, yeah. No, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Good. I mean, I feel like that's the way things are going to start trending more and more with, like, higher education getting more expensive and trades becoming really necessary. It just seems like... It stinks because you have to like figure out that that's what you want to do. Yeah, that's part of the issue. Yeah, and it's so tough. Like other countries, um, Canada has a um, has kind of a, a forced gap year, mm. um, and I'm describing it wrong. But I've heard of this before. But there, mm-hmm. basically, there's a, a fifth year of high school, which is basically figure out what you want to do. Man, that makes so much sense. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, look at what you did. You yeah. went to school and were doing what you thought you wanted to be doing and then figured out the thing that you actually wanted to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it it is, I mean, so much of your life prior to that, you have been doing what other people tell you to do. Yeah. So figuring out what you want to do, you know, for yourself. And, and there are so many careers out there. Like, I, I've met professional snowboarders <laughs> how is that a job but it is so how I feel do you like, maintain yourself yeah yeah but i feel like you know if you if you give kids the freedom to actually to actually explore and see what's out there that a lot of times there is a job that is perfectly suited for them but otherwise they're going to go into the very narrow range of things that they're taught about in school right you know yeah yeah i, I mean i went into college and finished with a degree in science, but what the actual thing that I got out of college was, oh, I think I want to keep being a performer. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, liberal arts education. <laughs> yeah, I told my nephew uh, as, when he was struggling in in high school, and I, I had a terrible time in high school. Um, I told him that the thing I wish that someone had told me. Uh, was that high school and college are about learning to meet deadlines mm. and about having multiple bosses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's so much truth to that. And, you know, it's like all of the other stuff. Is, and even learning how to learn things. Yeah, learning how to learn things, learning how to manage time, mm-hmm. um, you know, learning how to prioritize. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that you learn is outdated by the time you actually get around to <laughs> to using it especially in a modern era oh yeah of of research and technology and and internet it's it's more i mean that's the most imperative part of using the internet at this point is just knowing how to to find very yeah i had a a friend who wanted to be with the cia Mm -hmm. and and so had learned okay well i need to um this is back in the 80s Mm. um and and uh so he's like i need to to get a degree in in uh, Soviet studies, yeah, and he graduated the week before the wall came down. Oh my god! And suddenly, his degree was completely obsolete. That's devastating. I mean, maybe not anymore, but yeah. at the time, at the time. <laughs> so, what? Once you were like in the industry, mm-hmm. what were the biggest draws? Like, 
Yeah, it was really the um, just the the breadth of possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but also uh, one of the first shows that I saw that was not in the um, in the kind of moving mouth Muppet tradition mm. was a show called Heaven Hell Tour by John Ludwig, which was at the Center for Puppetry Arts. And I saw that when I went down. I can't remember if that was when I went down for my audition or right after I started. But it was um, a combination of um, rod puppets and moving mouth and body puppets and shadow, just basically every technique you could think. And it was in this revival tent in Atlanta. And uh, the the show starts with this devil coming out. Uh, um, this It was a, a body figure. And... Uh, basically pouring what looks like gasoline on the front row of the audience. It's water, but they, they yeah. had done this really cool thing with pouring some into a fish tank and then and lighting, like lighting it. Cool. Lighting it, but, you know, gasoline rises, so it was already in there. And Anyway, but That's uh, awesome. it was a great technique. And so they do that. He he holds up a lit match and then and drops it. And, you know, just the act of dropping it is enough to make it go out. But the, the entire – the uh, they, they flash the lights black out, and then there's this voice that comes over and says, Welcome to hell. And comes back up, and we go on a tour of hell. That's awesome. Where everybody is given a new car, but there are no parking places. <laughs> so you're just driving around constantly trying to find parking and gas <laughs> and stuck in constant. And, and it was just, it was so Is that amazing. legitimately what the whole show's about? Basically. It's like the, the, that's the version of hell in this play? That That's the version of hell in this play. And then there was also puppetry in hell. They would, they would have different things. Um, the, the puppetry in hell still, it, it resonates more now. For me, because you know more about the uh, ins but, and outs of the yeah, but it's basically the, the puppetry and hell with the two very, very fluffy, very cute um, a rabbit and a dog, and the saccharine voice going, and so is fuzzy wuzzy and doggy woggy, sure, and they ran and they played. I'm like, yes, that is puppetry and hell, sure, that's really funny. And they that it can make fun of itself that yeah. much. And then someone came and cut their fucking heads off. And this guy comes up with this chainsaw, slices the heads off of these cute things, blood fountains into the air. <laughs> it was great. Um, that sounds awesome. It was amazing. I mean, if that's the show you come down to see when you yeah. are auditioning, especially, yeah. it's like, get me in it's here. Like, <laughs> sign me up. But one of the things that I realized through doing that and then, and then getting immersed into it is that... Um, Puppetry does a lot of what I also find appealing about science fiction and fantasy. Cool. Which is that it it's not just that you can be anything. It's that it kind of takes the, the world and tips it slightly to the side so you can sort of see between the pieces and how things are connected. Like you can use puppetry as a metaphor even while doing something that is fairly straight up. Huh. Um so even just with like what the character you choose to portray is yeah. and things like and, that. And like wh- how how the puppet is constructed can be commentary on, on cool. the thing that you're talking about. And it's it's not the kind of thing that is really beating you over the head with it. Um, I mean, g- Pinocchio, I got no strings, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's Ex- like the basis yes. level of it, I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly like that where it's like, oh, yeah, you are both uh, – it, it, 
you know, it's it's kind of like they're the, the metaphor made manifest, mm-hmm. um, which is really a description of magical realism. But we're going to use it for puppetry <laughs> right now anyway. Um, but it, it is that they they really can allow for just amazing conversations. Um, I saw a production. Oh, I can't remember the name of it right now. It was an original play. Um, I was in Portland, Oregon, and Sam Mowry was the main character, was performing the main character, and I can't remember the name of the play. That's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it was about a man who was, um, had a a disease in which your body calcifies. Mm. And so he was, um, he was basically turning to to stone. Um, And they slowly replaced him with puppets yeah as soon as you said that i was like oh god <laughs> and because i had a feeling that yeah was the idea and and it is so just certain parts of his body yeah man that's so cool it was really amazing and um and it was it was one of those things that could have been very cheesy and heavy-handed mm-hmm. but the, the way it was handled in this particular production it it emphasized that that sense of having a body that no longer belongs to you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and it was just it was really very chilling and subtle, and they didn't draw attention to it. Yeah. Because you know, I, I have certainly seen puppetry that's like, look at this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, the the one that we joke about all the time is. Um, People will do this. The, the thing that is overused is when someone dies and red ribbons will come streaming oh, out of them. Oh, like, yes. Yeah, that was fantastic the first time someone did that. A lot of red ribbons. So much red ribbon. Uh, if you have a budget, you shouldn't be using red ribbons. <laughs> there are times and places for them. <laughs> times and places. And the first time I saw it, it was breathtaking. Right. First time I saw it was 20 years ago. Yeah. We should move on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's so funny. I and and you couldn't accomplish that sort of thing with the calcification example right. without something like that. You can't no. just expect an actor. No, and, the, and I mean you could you, it just wouldn't have the same it effect. It wouldn't have the same effect because because the thing that was happening to him was all internal. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a, you know, the it it made this internal transformation into an external transformation that the audience could see, participate in, and witness. That's really cool. Um, and even with the best actor, you know that what's happening is they're just holding still. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you, when you when that tra- that's a real transformation that has happened, uh, and and it's the same thing when you kill a puppet on stage. Uh, when you kill a character, a, an actor who dies, the audience all has to agree that they cannot see him breathing. Right. Yes. And we all know that they're going to get up at the end of the play and, you know, and they'll take their curtain call and then they'll go out for drinks with their friends. Uh-huh. And you have to you have to engage in this very active, willing suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. Whereas with puppets, that willing suspension of disbelief begins the moment you you begin watching, where you invest in the puppet. And this is the thing that I get so excited about <laughs> killing puppets. Um, <laughs> but you you have to invest in the puppet, and you have to believe. Like if the audience doesn't invest part of themselves in in that agreement that this is a living creature. Um, they they aren't going to not going to follow the anything. Yeah, 
Uh, but but we're trained to do that. And, and if a puppeteer is doing their job right, even if you aren't trained to do that, you will invest. Right. Because we're giving you all of the cues. I mean, we anthropomorphize toasters. So when you've actually got something that's got a conscious performer behind it, you can you can control the audience. <laughs> um, but that means that you've already done that buy-in. So when the puppet dies and the the performer removes their hands and you have an inert object lying on the stage and it is Couldn't dead. Be more lifeless. Yes, it is it literally lifeless. And so that death becomes more profound for the audience member in part because what you've done is you have killed that little belief in them. Oh dang. So it's it can be really powerful. I can imagine. That's awesome. Uh what do you find are your the like roles that you've been drawn to or shows uh over the years that you know you mentioned that doing a, a Pied Piper mm-hmm. operetta but like what's if if you had your druthers oh if I had my druthers <laughs> See, this is tough because everything has different appeal mm-hmm. um and it's not like there's so many of them all at the same time that I've ever had to choose between two of them sure um yeah but that's kind <laughs> of yeah I guess that makes sense that that you wouldn't it's not like you have this laundry list of no. gigs yeah, that yeah, you're like, picking oh, and choosing yeah. from <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm drawn to a style called um, Czech Black. Okay. Uh, it's uh, It used to be short for Czechoslovakian, but now Czech Republic. Uh, um, and it's it's related to um, to black art and, and magic. Cool. Um, but basically in puppetry, you have a very sharply focused curtain of light and uh, in front of a black velvet box. And you put the puppet in the light. The performer is standing behind that curtain of light, dressed in velvet, and you cannot see them. Cool. Because of an imperfection in the human eye, which focuses on the brightest object on stage, which is the puppet. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, so it appears you appear to have a figure that is moving by themselves. Uh, the figures are are very much like marionettes without strings. Um, and since you can either work the puppet solo or you can have multiple puppeteers on it and you can swap back and forth without anyone actually being able to tell what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, you have a very full range of expressivity through the puppet. You can get really specific um, and you can also make the puppet fly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was picturing it like hovery. Yeah, yeah. It's it's usually worked on a tabletop, so you can, um, so you know there is a, a visible ground for the audience. But we did um, one of my favorite shows that we did was uh, Pinocchio. Um, my this was with my company Other Hand Productions, and Jody Eichelberger was my creative partner. So he wrote this. He was he's a fantastic playwright. He. Um, one of the things about going into elementary schools or going in, I mean, anytime you're establishing a new theater company, mm-hmm. for the first five to 10 years, you have to do names, mm. titles that people recognize. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they, they don't come because sure. they don't recognize the company. So mm-hmm. in children's theater, that means you're doing fairy tales. Yes. So we knew that we did a lot of fairy tales oh, as a kid in children's theater. Yeah. <laughs> so we were going to do Pinocchio, mm-hmm. um, but. In order to keep ourselves active and interested, sure, we tried to figure out what Pinocchio we could tell that was bringing something new to the story. Yeah, and yeah, that's got to be yeah. the dimest of dozens for you yeah, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we decided to do it as the tale of a young man 
remembering his puppethood. So Pinocchio is grown up. Cool. And the the Collodi version and, and the, most of the versions that, that people tell are focused on Pinocchio attempting to find the Blue Fairy, which is kind of a, a metaphor for finding his mother. Right. So we decided to have this be about a reconnection to his father. Cool. Um, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I've got that backwards. Most of them are about him trying to find Geppetto, which is about a connection to his father. We decided to have this one be about trying to find the, to reconnect to the Blue Fairy. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so what we did was all of the... So he was in Geppetto and Son's toy shop. And Pinocchio was played by Jody as an, as an actor, as a fleshy. Huh. In front of the curtain of light and into the curtain of light. And I was the puppeteer behind it. And so we had these marionettes with big, thick yellow strings so you could clearly see them. Uh-huh. Um, this is part of the, the production in that sense. Yeah. Um, and, and they were characters that Pinocchio had crafted of characters he had known as a, when he was young. Cool. And, and they were available for sale. But there were also characters that he hadn't made puppets of, like Geppetto was performed as an axe doing found object puppetry. Um, where you take an object, you find an object, and you you treat it like a puppet. So Geppetto oh, was cool. an axe. That the great shark was a pair of big double-handled saws. Uh, saws. Um, but what would happen is that as the memories became very real to Pinocchio, I would take the marionette from him. So you could still see the strings, you could still see the control, but there was no one touching it, and it was moving by itself. Cool. In the same plane as this actor. That's awesome. And then we were also, through that same magic, able to make Pinocchio the actor's nose grow uh, instead of, you know, instead of a puppet, which uh, is, I loved because the kids... The response. Oh, yeah. It was great, too, when we had uh, adults in the audience because they will, as soon as the actor's nose grew, they would all go... <gasps> <laughs> and the kids are like, well, of course, he lied. And <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, have you guys not seen this before? <laughs> he lied. But then the adults are like, but you don't, uh, he, you don't understand. His nose grew. <laughs> well, yeah, he lied. But no, no, no. That's awesome. Yeah, That's really cool. It was so much fun. And and that kind of thing, that kind of breaking of perceptions is part of why I'm I'm drawn to 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 check black. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a point where we had Pinocchio swimming and we were actually able to get the actor up off the ground. That's awesome. Floating in midair and again, you know, the audience just being is, raised by a bunch of the puppeteers. Uh just on my back cuz I'm the I only was going to say you s- dang Yep. Yep. Just me. I did not come into this thinking this was going to be like a, a testament to your brute strength. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People have very specific ideas of what puppets are. There's a lot of pain, a lot of pain uh, involved in puppetry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was it was a good lifting position. I basically he hooked an arm over my shoulder and I leaned forward so it's just him going back onto gotcha. lying down on my that back. makes sense like a, ba- yeah. a backstroke type yeah, thing yeah. that's cool yeah i can picture it yeah that's awesome um yeah but when we did snow queen we had uh, a ballet dancer with us and we had her float in this check black thing where she went into a a, a fairly standard leap and just didn't Solid. come back down yeah you know and it was a standard ballet lift 
Yeah, because you don't think about the fact that you can be there the whole time. The whole time. <laughs> no one has any idea you're there. It's great. That sounds amazing. I have to look up like visuals of that. That was my only um, a thought in all of this is they're talking about such a visual art in an (laughs) only audio way. Uh, That's why I'm trying to throw in the occasional voice. (laughs) I love it. Um, What do you think is the the biggest thing that people can get out of, uh, you know, coming to a puppet show, like you said, kind of buying into it first of all would you call it a puppet show that seems like a a real yeah you see um, what i'm saying yeah yeah well i mean there's a reason it's called a puppet show and not a puppet tell (laughs) Uh, i Um, love it you got patter i know (laughs) it's strange it's like i've been doing this Um, yeah uh yeah, I think puppet show is totally fine. I, I tend to use the term puppet show when I'm talking about um, something for kids. Yeah, that's why I when I said and it, I was like, but you're talking about plays. Pup- yeah. You're talking about puppet theater. Theater. Yeah, so puppet theater is what I tend to use when I, I'm talking about stuff uh, that is for an adult audience. The funny thing about puppetry is, you know, we talk about theater and children's theater. So mm-hmm. the default for theater is for adults and then you have to add the modifier children. Puppetry, the default is kids shows. Kids shows. But you can't add the modifier adult. adult. No. Too creepy. Can't yes. say that. Adult puppetry? Talking about I mean I've done that. But... <laughs> Uh, I mean, I feel like Avenue Q was probably a gift and a curse for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Where Avenue, that's concerned. Yes. That was mature puppetry. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, so I tend to use puppet theater. Um, I, I will also sometimes uh, say, because most of the puppetry that I do is not straight puppetry. Most of the time there is an actor in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a, a fleshy, because puppeteers are actors. Um, yeah, I, I knew what you meant, even though... The clarification may have been necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the time you have puppeteers as actors interacting with uh, just actors, no puppet on stage. Yeah. Like the Pinocchio that you described. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that seems more uh, easily engageable. Yeah. I don't know that it's there. I don't know so much that it's more easily engageable, although it can be. But what I feel like is that it allows each to do what it is good at. Mm. Like, you know, I say that you can do anything with puppets, and that is true, but they suck at picking things up. <laughs> Somersaults, not not a thing that puppets really do. Um, so the, the thing that is nice about incorporating uh, meat actors with puppet actors is that it allows each form to do what they're best at. Mm. And... Uh, you know, like I was in a production of The Tempest, which was a combination of puppets and... and when my I, my uh, university did The Tempest a year or two before I got there, and they used some puppetry. Yeah, and, and this, this production decided to mask the actors hmm. so that there was a similar vocabulary of... Oh. ...of um, facial expression and movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so Caliban and Ariel were both... Pu- full-on puppets, and then uh, Trinculo and, um, oh, I can't remember the other clown character. Oh, it's been too long since uh, I've seen or read it, and 
anyway, be no help. Um, but the comic relief characters were also puppet characters. That makes sense. Um, but, like, but then you have a, a fleshy Prospero. Yeah. That makes sense because it's kind of the the heavy lifting versus yeah. the uh, lighter, you know, the entertainment that was for the the floor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then Ferdinand and Miranda were shadow puppets. Cool. Um, so, oh, actually, here's a so, listeners. Um, while you're listening to us, uh, look up uh, Shadow Light Puppet Theater. Um, and you don't need to turn on the sound. Uh, you can just watch. Um, it's gorgeous, gorgeous shadow puppetry. But that's the style of shadow puppetry that we were using in The Tempest. And uh, it um, was pioneered by Larry Reed. And the, the performers are, it, it's basically those are actors with shadow masks on their heads. So you get all of the fluidity of a human figure with the um, stylization of a of a puppet. Cool. It's, they're really it's really magic stuff. So the the masks have points of articulation and stuff like that too, or no? They're um, they're very much uh, usually no articulation, um, but the way he has them set, uh, they're. Rather than being in in full profile at with in alignment with the actor's face, uh, the mask um, has two basically. Hmm, trying to describe this in audio, I know <laughs> uh, the mask has two faces, each of which come out come off of the the actor's face at at kind of their three quarter mark. Cool. So you turn your head three quarters. You are looking at the screen, which puts one of the faces in profile. Oh, I see. So you I can see. see. You can watch the screen and see what you're doing. And then when you turn your head very quickly, you can bring the other one in. And you have to do the full turn to right. be facing th- well, the right, or to to have the mask right. be seen. Yeah. Um, but actually, because it's three quarters, you don't have to turn your head fully to be. You don't have to go do 180 to to get. I see, other, I see, other I face see. Shape. But what that means is that um, one of the things shadow puppets can do is uh, play with scale very easily. Yeah, of course. So you can have one puppeteer right up next to the screen mm-hmm. and life size, mm-hmm. and then someone else farther upstage and huge. That's so cool. Or you can hit the same performer with multiple light sources and get multiple versions of them on stage. Or you can have someone who's on stage and then have them step into one of the shadow spots and they will just vanish immediately. Oh, dang. It's like so... I didn't think about that either. So, like, they... shadow like just outside of the light yeah. and not seen at all. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. It's really, really <laughs> amazing stuff. Um, yeah, Shadowlight, uh, I think they usually have two to three light sources backstage. It's, it, they just do amazing, amazing work. When you were getting into puppetry and, uh, thinking about things that you had seen as you were growing up, just as a fan, um, do you remember anything that you specifically knew that you wanted to, uh, attempt, you know, when you were watching Sesame Street where you're like, I got to get inside Snuffle Up again, you know? Um, Just basically getting to Sesame Street. (laughs) Because, I mean, the only two types of puppetry that I knew at that point, well, three, I guess. I knew knew Sesame Street, Mm -hmm. I knew Mr. Rogers, Mm -hmm. and I knew Sound of Music. Oh, so a lot of marionette stuff. Yeah, and that was basically it. And... um, so, you know, my ambitions were initially... You thought they were limited. Yeah. 
Um, so it was, you know, I just, I was very targeted for the first part of my career in getting to Sesame Street. Huh. Um, and, and then the, the more I learned about it, the more I was like, oh, there's so much more out here. Right. Um, and don't get me wrong, I, anytime they call me, I go. Uh, to Sesame Street. How many? Di- how often have you done that? Not nearly as often. Not as, as much as like. you would want to. Never <laughs> as much as I would like because it's oh, they're so nice. They're such That's nice people. Awesome. It is everything that you want Sesame Street to be, like a warm, fun environment. And and it's Sesame Street. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Where do they even film it? Um, on Sesame Street. Yeah. <laughs> I would assume it's in. in it's in Queens. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's totally a New York production. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, All yeah. the trash cans and yeah, 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 no yeah. alleys. And the subways. <laughs> subways, right. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. To to think, also to think about the, the everlastingness of yeah. that, like, Sesame Street's not going anywhere. It, well, well, hopefully... <laughs> <laughs> well, they just did the HBO thing. They just did the HBO thing, so that that's that's huge. Like, I bet it almost saved them in a lot of ways. Well, that's why they did it. Yeah, um, because uh, I didn't think about that. Ugh, public yeah. television, but the funding for PBS keeps getting cut and cut and cut, and they couldn't afford Sesame Street anymore. And I would think their production costs would be a little high with all the music and the puppets. And yeah, it's not. You're not ex- just paying actors. You know, it's not inexpensive. Um, although, you know, the the performers on Sesame Street are not. It's not like they are. You know, there there are jobs that pay better. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sounds. It's it's a. I almost compared it to the Second City before you uh, said that. Just in the sense of like when you're new to that industry it seems like the one thing that you're all working towards well having i mean yes but it is it remains the thing because it's also the steadiest gig yeah second city's got a similarity there as well to a certain extent and and they are genuinely good people and also you know we all grew up with it yeah how could you not yeah want that you know, it's just... It's what made you fall in love with it, yeah, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the... Uh, if Julie Andrews was like, we're getting uh, Sound uh, of Music back together, you'd be there, too, you know? Well, she has a new television show. <laughs> really? Yeah, Julie's Green Room, which is basically, it's it's Glee with puppets. Oh. And Julie Andrews, yeah. I'm not sure when... It, I, I got to audition for it, although I didn't actually not... I did not get to audition with Julie Andrews, but but the director, when I'm in the audition, we had to sing uh, uh, Do Re Mi. Mm-hmm. And as I'm getting ready to sing it, you know, with the puppet, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, and you should know that uh, the Julie of Julie's Green Room is uh, Julie Andrews. So that's who you're going to be singing it for. And I'm like, you bastard. You don't tell someone that, that right before. That is so harsh. 
He's like, I just love watching people's faces. I was going to say, he did that on purpose. He totally did that on purpose. And he, But I'm like, you you do that after the singing. You yeah. Do that after the singing, unless you're just trying to see how people can handle being thrown. Exactly. It's, it's like, do, do you expect that in the environment of making this show that people are, things are going to be thrown on people? Yeah. Then sure, sure, test them like that. Because sometimes that's part of the deal i've heard they do that in snl auditions that makes sense for an snl right? audition yeah and You're doing that in live television that makes sense this is not and you would hope that they would consistently do the same thing they apparently uh, did to, to according yeah. to all of my other friends who went in yeah that makes sense i suppose like like i said if if there's something in the context of making the show that <sighs> no i think it was just fun yeah yeah, especially because if you got the gig, she would just become a person that you worked with. Yeah, it's yeah. not like you know your friend Julie. You're right. It's not <laughs> like she would always be this like monolith. Yeah, uh, but by, by all accounts, she is lovely, lovely person. Of course, she is. She's like exactly the person that you want. Someone with the name Julie Andrews, <laughs> who you have grown up watching, to be. Yeah, that's, I mean, her her legacy of, between that and Mary Poppins, I feel like she just yeah. kind of runs the gamut on things that people grew up with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know about you, but having the name Mary, mm. yeah, I have, I, like, I... I have wanted an umbrella with the parrot head <laughs> for basically my yes. entire life. I want one of those bags. Yeah. Everyone says bags, bag of holding. No, oh, Mary nerds. Poppins bag. No, it's a Mary Poppins bag. Come yeah. on, nerds. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I want I want the giant bag. Yeah. Uh, what, what characters have you played on Sesame Street? I have been a piece of pizza on a stick. Yes. Um, I have been... <laughs> Uh, and and this is not a character, mind you. It's a piece of pizza on a stick. My job there was to hit Grover in the face and then fall to the earth. <laughs> years, 25 years of training to get that sense of gravity. You know, the, the slight tackiness of the, the the cheese sticking to his face and then the drop. Was there was it anthropomorphized at all? No, it's just a, no, a it was piece a piece of pizza, pizza on a stick. <laughs> Uh, Oscar the Grouch's right hand. Yes. Um, I have been, uh, let's see, a bag of trash. <laughs> uh, grouch. I've been a grouch. Yeah, what um, was I thinking not knowing that this was New York based? Yeah. <laughs> you basically just listed off a, a New York bingo card. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've had my hand in Mandy Patinkin's crotch. Yes. That's what I was looking for. See, see, <laughs> I know, I know your audience. I'm, I'm there. Was that how? How is that related to puppetry? Well, <laughs> they're rod puppets, and no, uh, <laughs> uh, it was Elmo and Grouchland puppetry. puppetry. Yes, indeed, uh, Elmo and Grouchland. Mandy Patinkin was the uh, was the villain. Ah, and I was a. Uh, I was a puppet, um, just a, you know, minion. No, no, just it was in a crowd scene. And I, I think it was a, I think it was a grouch. I, I may have just been a monster. Um, oh, no, it must have been a grouch because it was in Grouchland. So, uh, there we are. So I'm, I'm looking in the monitor. And the, the thing about video puppetry is that you don't look at the puppet itself. You, you are looking at a television monitor. Huh. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. So it's a different, I would think that would be very different. It takes, a, this is, 
very difficult for people to learn because it's um, it's not mirrored. So you are seeing exactly what the camera sees. Oh, dang. That's so hard. Um, and your brain adapts to it, but it, sure. it takes training. It's and, like uh, flying a plane or something. Yeah. Um, and and the reason that they do it is because um, you can help the you can help compose the shot. And since one of the things that happens with with puppets is that you or, or television, I guess in general, but it's easier with puppets um, because there's no depth perception. You can have two puppets that are not actually on the same plane, but you can still make them look like they're oh, looking at each other, which sure. makes filling the frame easier sometimes. Right. Um, but uh, but as a result, you know, no depth perception. So I've got my hand in a puppet, and I'm like, oh, why can't I move over? Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> oh, that's uh, right. I understand now where my hand is. Speaking of Grouchland, oh, Grouchland, I know there's a lot of foam and sweat involved right there. Not in the ways you're thinking. <laughs> that's so cool. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, have you done other uh, on-camera stuff? Yeah, there was, there was a children's show called Lazy Town. Yeah. Yeah, so I was on Lazy Town. For, that's awesome. Yeah, um, so I was an assistant puppeteer on that. Yeah. Uh, and I did, um, I was Ziggy's hands, uh-huh. uh, Bessie Busybody's hands. Occasionally I got to do Trixie, like only because Sarah, who was normally Trixie, was uh, out sick. Uh-huh. Um, you know, occasionally if someone else had, like, I would occasionally also get to do Bessie, like, in the background. Nice. Because Julie was was doing something else. Yeah. Um, got to do the Periscope quite a bit. Uh, so that was that was a lot of fun. Um, and that one, that's a really good example of why we have to use a monitor is because all of the scenery, uh, all of the, 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 the walls that Sporticus jumps on uh-huh. um, are real. And everything else is computer generated, and it was computer generated in real time. Oh my god! So the puppets could actually—it was fascinating because we were looking at a fully rendered world. Oh my! And the actors were just acting on green screen. That is awesome. Yeah, that makes. Yeah, because I was going to ask while you're talking about the doing it for Sesame Street, like what's the you know advantage of that? If you're familiar enough with doing it on stage, I would think that they could. Trust you to do it on camera, but if they're putting in the scenery, that's so cool because yeah. you could be interacting with it. And well, and and I mean, one of the things is you can like the on on stage you are referring to physical objects in a physical space, but with the camera, people one of the mistakes people make when we, when we talk about video puppetry is that we uh, we. Th- People think about the the figure as being the puppet, but the puppet is actually the image on the screen. Mm. And the figure is what you are using to manipulate that image. Sure. So part of what you are dealing with is the, the boundaries of the screen, which don't exist in real space. Sure. So being able to look at the monitor, you can tell where the edge of the screen is. You can tell where the bottom of the frame is. You can see all the things that are in the background. So you have a much better idea of what's going on in the frame than a meat actor does. Who is only seeing? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, and that's the reason we don't flip it is because um, the, especially in early video puppetry when Jim Henson was performing, you know he was also directing as well. So 
in terms of storytelling semantics um, in Western culture, we we read things from from left to right. So when you have something that is advancing, a, a story that's advancing, and this is true with with cartooning um, and comics, that that a story that is advancing moves f- the motion across the screen is from left to right, mm-hmm. and uh, a story, you know, a character that is not achieving their goals tends to move from right to left. Cool. So basically what happens is if you flip that screen, mm. you have reversed the storytelling order. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so it it gives us the ability to be more helpful to the director, to be more active participants. Uh, it gives you another tool in the arsenal. So that's that's why in the, in the UK they, they do flip it and it's certainly easier to learn. Yeah. Um, and it's very funny when you have a UK puppeteer and an American puppeteer working on, on the oh, same project because they'll hit the other monitor and immediately head the other direction to try to compensate. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, you guys are bumping heads and yeah, it's it's, it's funny that uh, we drive on different sides. Yeah, <laughs> we watch our puppetry monitors, monitors. from different sides. Know, everything's backwards. <laughs> the water goes the other way in the toilet or something like that. Totally, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> it's all I'm, I assume they all happen for the same reason. Yeah, it's, it's science. <laughs> it's all for science and storytelling. It's all about they're just telling the wrong story when they're driving. That's what's happening. What are some of your other favorite uses of puppetry in things that you've seen, popular culture? So one of my favorite films um, is called Strings, the movie. Um, And uh, favorite puppetry films, I should say. Sure. Um, And and it is one of the best examples of world building in fantasy that I have ever seen. Cool. And not just as puppetry, but just... Right, across the board. Yeah, um... So this is a Danish film. The puppets were created by a man named Bernd de Grodnik, who is a brilliant marionettist. And it is a world in which everyone are marionettes. Cool. Everyone's a marionette. And it's not like there are people. You know, it's not like there's some, there, there are puppeteers wandering around. It's just, it's a world of marionettes. And the strings just go up to a vanishing point. You never know where the strings are going so the buildings don't have roofs because you can't. And to bar the city gates, oh my god! You just literally put a bar across the city gates because the city gate because you don't have to put a gate, you don't have to put a wall there. You just put a bar there, and people can't go through because oh, their strings that's can't so go through. Cool. The jail is a grid. And you drop people into the grid because they can't get past with their strings. That's so cool. It's just stunning when when um when a, a mother is expecting her head string uh the string that goes into her head thickens ha huh. and and as that is happening the father will carve a baby <gasps> and when the, the then her string will split and they put the head string into the into the baby and and it awakens and then the baby's alive so there's this amazing class distinction in the materials that you are made of oh. because it's related to what your parents could afford um, and then there's a Dang. black market it's it's amazing that sounds awesome it is so good um the the script is a little wooden uh. <laughs> um you could do this all day. I could do this all day. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but you know the the script the the script's a little 
a little predictable at times. Sure. But the world building, the art direction, the manipulation is breathtaking. Um, when Team America World Police came out, everyone was like people would come up to me constantly and say, have you seen Team America World Police? It's like world class puppetry, world class marionettes. And I'm like, no, no, those are deliberately bad marionettes. Right. Please. I'm going to stab you right now. But uh, but I would say, no, go watch Strings. That is world-class world class puppetry. It is uh, – every time someone talks about marionettes as being uh, very um, – you know, you, you think of Sound of Music. Like mm-hmm. that's that, – those are the marionettes most people think of. Mm-hmm. And two things about that. One is that Bill Baird, who designed them, had a specific style that he liked using, mm. a, a specific stylized movement and specific stylized walk. So that's one thing. The other thing is that Julie Andrews and kids were actually doing the marionettes for a lot of it. So it's not like it was... Right. <laughs> but that's what people think. Sure. Um, they think howdy doody, you know, they, and, and they don't necessarily think howdy doody, they think parodies of howdy doody. Yeah. So yeah, Team America. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So strings like they're the puppets have incredibly naturalistic movement at times. Other times they are appropriately stylized. It's beautiful. Just go watch it. It sounds awesome. Yeah. Even even just watch the trailer. Yeah. And you'll be like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's the thing Mary's talking about. <laughs> if you uh, are there times where you're watching something like that, and I'm sure you you know take notes oh yeah <laughs> of like oh my gosh i didn't know you could accomplish this kind of movement yeah yeah that one was definitely one of those that um the just the quality of movement is so gorgeous um Berend and i are, are old friends everyone in puppetry kind of winds up knowing each other if you're in it long enough somehow that doesn't surprise Surprising, me yeah because i think that's how ma- the world of magicians kind yeah, of is too. Probably, it's like yeah. such a specific thing. I had a professor in college who was a magician, and if you played the name game with him, like it worked a lot of times. Yeah. Um, but uh, but when I was he, but he that's lives, so cool that you look up to this thing that he. Oh yeah, made. that's amazing. Yeah, and uh, and and then, but he lives in Iceland, and so when I was out there filming Lazy Town. I got to go and play with the puppets after filming. Very cool. And they're just, it's like, it, they are so exquisitely crafted that they just kind of, I don't want to say they move on their own because that makes it sound like the puppeteer doesn't have any, you know. Right. But. Um, That's certainly part of it. Yeah. they. It, it's, it is the difference between um Playing the you know the five and dime violin and playing a Stradivarius. Sure, right. And there's automatically a tone that comes with it. It's like, oh yeah, this is this is better. Do people do a lot of their own construction? <laughs> yeah, um, and interestingly, in the U.S., uh, um, English uh, is the only language that has a single word that can mean both a performer or a builder, puppeteer. Oh. Um, other. Other languages, it's, you know, you're a puppet builder, you're a puppet performer. Puppeteer means all of that. Puppeteer means all of that. Cool. Um, But I know a lot of puppeteers who really would be happier just building. Huh. Uh, And and other puppeteers who really just want to perform and have no interest in building. But it's so much easier to make a living at it if you can do both. One would think. That, uh, and and there's a sort of societal pressure to, like, people assume that you do both as well. 
Um, so that when they are hiring you, they're also hiring you to make the puppets for their show or whatever it is. Right. And, and so I do, I do both. Like I did, um, I did the puppets for Diamond Dogs at the House Theater here in Chicago. Cool. Yeah. The, um, did that just close? Just closed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't performing in it, but they did hire me to come in and train the puppeteers. Um, so it's it's kind of a it's this really big mix of what you wind up doing. You just kind of have to be good at everything. <laughs> well, it it helps to make. I mean, it's like anything in the arts. If you can diversify your income stream, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I would pref- I enjoy building. I would rather be performing. Cool. Uh, did what about for um, like those high profile Sesame Street type things? I'm sure they have. Uh, those you do not build dedicated yeah. builders. Yeah, dedicated builders. Um, uh, yeah. So, so. But mm-hmm. someone like Jim Henson, he made most of his own puppets. Mm-mm. Really? No, 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 no. Uh, his, early on, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, but then after that, by the no. by, yeah, like by the higher Kermit Love stuff. and yeah, all of these other people made made the made puppets. Uh, so he made them early on. Uh, Dave Goles, uh, who plays Gonzo, started as a builder. Cool. Um, but most people don't make that transition. Most people are one or the other when you get on and into those levels. Uh-huh. Um, or if you do both, you don't do both for the same show. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, which is some of that is union. Oh, wow. Uh, which is not a bad thing. You know, that's like one of the, the beautiful things about the, the we, we fall under the Screen Actors Guild. So we're sag I was, I was actually going to ask. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we get a lot of protections for that, which means that we don't have to do both. Because when you have to do both, it's like you're you're as a puppeteer, as a performer, you have to be very uh, open and um and, and malleable in some ways for the, you know, to work with the director and, and, and there's a lot of uh, flexibility. And as a designer or a builder, you have to be willing to defend turf. It's like, mm. no, this thing you've asked for is not actually possible. Um, sure. That and, makes sense. You know, yeah. Um, or, and you don't want one person to have to do all of that. Yeah. And, and switching back and forth, it's really difficult. That makes uh, a lot of sense. To, to go in and out of those headspaces. So the nice thing about having a union that says, no, you, you know, the performer performs, we will bring in someone else to do this other thing. Yeah. The WGA is actually having a lot of issues with um, so many writers are becoming producers on shows. Uh, and they like don't – they pay people out in different ways. Yeah. Uh, so it affects the the, you know – overall salaries of the guild and you know as a result affects things like healthcare and all yeah. this other stuff so it's just the nature of especially with a lot of shows going to shorter seasons mm. um w- because it's just easier to uh produce a thing and like release it all at once as 10 episodes and things like that instead of the old 22 episodes yeah. over the course of a season model uh, it, it's really it's re- having a, a major effect oh, on, on the writers guild or on the writers guild. Yeah, you recognize the economic realities. Sure, um, but you know, also again being in, in in puppetry, like I go to other countries where they have state supported theater. <laughs> yeah, and the quality of work that is available is amazing because the, they don't have to they don't have to worry about you know making rent they don't have to they don't have to compromise 
and and so the quality of shows that the public gets to see and that means that you know that that then the 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 area around the theater is, there's this economic thing of where people are going to go see a show because it's a really good show because and then they're going to spend money on sure on going to a restaurant right and they're going to do some shopping before drinks it's like and parking drinks. And, and it's like all of this stuff and people and tourists coming to town to, right and people forget the like we we talk about the importance of the arts in mm-hmm. terms of 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 you know enrichment and, an and invigorated and, yes and all of that but we we forget that that one of the sides of the side effects of that is it's a lot of jobs yeah I mean if you live in Los Angeles I think oh, yeah, you're yeah. hyper aware of how much that is job creation but I'm sure there are people outside of that who are like well that doesn't affect me anyway yeah but it's like oh but it does it does well and when you think about which cities are the ones that are the big tourist cities you know where you want to go for vacation you're Almost always talking about a place that has a thriving arts scene. Mm, mm-hmm, you know, you're mm-hmm. going to go to New York to catch a show. Yeah. I've been San wanting Francisco. to go to Austin yeah. ever since that's kind of been uh, revitalized there yeah. or vitalized in the first Nashville. place. Nashville. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, this is it, – it's what brings people into places. Man, it's really interesting because I feel like the there's this uh, idea that – Oh, if you were comfortable, you wouldn't make as good of art Ugh. or it's it's horribly pervasive in something like stand-up comedy where it's like, oh, if you were, you know, fed and happy, you wouldn't be funny. Like, you've got to be miserable to do this. And that's just trash. No, I know. I, I feel like that's one of the most damaging tropes in you know that you have to be miserable to do art mm-hmm. oh, i hate that trope so much you heard it here first uh-huh. starving <laughs> starving artists you don't have to be that way <laughs> you really you do not there's nothing wrong with being paid the money that you're worth i i when i am building things um i have people sign off on on each stage mm-hmm. because the number of times we get all the way to the end and they're like you know what i think i want something totally different i'm like Okay, well, we can, you can pay me for that work. But you have to pay me to make the other ones too. Yeah. Because you signed off on each stage. Sure. It's not like I just went away and showed you this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's like, no, you, you, you had a, you had an opportunity. Uh, people, Mm. uh, much shaking a fist. <laughs> uh, is there anything that I realize that we could talk about this for a very long time? I could talk about this for days. Is there anything that you would feel remiss to not mention in this conversation? Yes. Um, if you are interested in just kind of getting a, an overview of puppetry, um, you should be able to find uh, Jim Henson's World of Puppetry, uh, which was a television series that he ran um, showing a bunch of different or Jim Henson presents the world of puppetry, I think is actually what it is. He presented a bunch of different uh, puppet masters from around the world. Awesome. A bunch of different styles. It's fantastic. What a gift to puppetry. Um, I wish that it had been something that was in the YouTube era, but you can can find it. Sure. Um, So I would recommend that. And then if you actually want to get involved in puppetry, uh, Puppeteers of America is the, uh, we have, um, 
We have two puppeteer organizations in the U.S. One is Puppeteers of America, um, and the other is uh, Unima USA, which is an acronym, uh, U-N-I-M-A, which stands for Union Internationale de la Marionette, which is the oldest performing arts organization in the world. No joke. Yep. That's awesome. And we are, the American branch is Dash USA. So those two resources are great for finding uh, when puppetry is happening locally. Uh, The magazines are fantastic. Um, Puppeteers of America tends to be uh, more geared towards people who uh, want to to dip their hands in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a big gamut. Unima tends to be, the magazine tends to be a little more, um, academic makes it sound dry. Mm. Um, And cerebral makes it also sound snooty. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But it it is... um, It's about the art. It's about the art. It's about about the the art. (laughs) I like them both for different reasons. Sure. Uh, but the, that's those are both really good places to kind of find out stuff that's going on. And the National Puppetry Festival is this summer in, I believe, Ohio this year. Cool. Um, and it is... Do you oh, frequent that? Yeah. it's uh, It alternates uh, National Puppetry Festival and Regional Puppetry Festivals, odd and even years. Um, so an odd year is the national and oh, it's cool. basically, it is a week long, um, it's a week long, uh, puppetry the festival. I mean, there's a reason we call it a festival, I guess, but it's, it's shows and, uh, like three shows a day and workshops and hanging out with other puppeteers and it's amazing <laughs> Um, and one of the most generous environments you will ever go to. So just check it out. Go see shows. Um, Do you think there's a specific draw to the art form of of a more open, you know, generous uh, person because of, you know, the kind of way that you described uh, theater goers having to be willing to uh, suspend that disbelief from the get-go. Do you think that kind of reflects backstage too? I think there's some of that. I, I think a lot of it also has to do with the uh, that historically the way you learn puppetry is you're trained by someone else. Mm. So we have all been helped working together. Yeah, and and helped by someone else. We've all been lifted up by someone else. So that that pay it forward generosity that that I find with the science fiction and fantasy community cool. is very very much present with uh puppetry. It's Good. they are really uh just gr- generally great people. I mean there's some yeah. creepy people. Yeah, like oh, yeah. you know. Sure. Like sure. being John sure. Malkovich, let's be clear. Not representative of us as a general rule. It's very clear about that. That was one I didn't think of. I was like running through my uh, beautiful puppetry. And the guy's a little bit of a freak. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of part of the part of the gim- gimmick. Of yeah, the, the... he's he's such a creep. Yeah, I mean, there's there's creeps in every yeah. numbers. Uh, yeah. That's so amazing that you ended up in this cross section of two yeah. worlds that seem to be so genuine and open and uh, it reflects in your own personality too if I may say so well thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, what's uh, what's something in puppetry that you've never gotten to do but you want to ooh um, I have never gotten to do uh, any Waldo 
uh, virtual puppetry. Cool. Um, which I would really like to try. Uh, yeah. Like the, the, the animatronic stuff that they use for the original uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the stuff that they're using now on Splash. Uh-huh. Um, I really want to try that. It looks so cool, and I've yeah. never gotten to do it. Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. And I feel like they're so... It's great that... Motion capture in general. Yes, that's what I was going to say. It's great that even though so much is going to being digitized, uh, it still seems like there's a, a necessity for the physical in a lot of ways, the practical. Yeah, well, and one of the things that I think directors... It's a different thing, too. Yeah, it, it is. But I also think that one of the things directors are realizing is that when they can put an actual puppet in, uh, when it's inhabiting space with a meat actor, that it makes the meat actor's job so much easier when they don't have to not only create their their character, but also create another character. The thing character. they're reacting to. Yeah. Like there's I can't imagine acting with like a tennis ball. I can't. No, no. I, anyone who is able to pull off believable like you know when i watched um fantastic beasts and where to find them i was like these guys are just acting with you know they're looking at their hands like yeah yeah and it's really impressive but when you when you watch uh men in black all of that most the vast majority of that was practical puppetry yeah um that's such a great example that i wouldn't have thought of yeah and uh and guillermo del toro uh, Mm -hmm. uses a mix which i think is the most appropriate thing probably um so even as a viewer, yeah. I feel like that's the most satisfying watch. Yeah, but Pan's Labyrinth is uh, this beautiful mix, and you know, and it's so much creepier. And even um, Kubo in the Two Strings, right? Yeah, was that huge thing was all, and they showed in the credits how they made the thing. That was so cool. I love these things. Yeah. yeah. I feel like one of the things that is happening right now is that directors are beginning to move back to using practical puppetry Good. because they recognize the the value of being able to to respond in real time to something. Yeah, um, there's this gr- this is old, but there's this great interview with uh, Laura Dern talking about the first Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. and she's talking about the scene where she sees the Triceratops for the first time, mm-hmm. and. And they they were rehearsing it, and the director's like, you know what, we're we're set up. Let's just go ahead and give it a try. You know, we'll just we'll just shoot one, see what we get. Mm-hmm. Um, what he didn't tell them was that they had set the puppeteers up and had hidden them, so you couldn't see the puppeteers. And in the interview, Laura Dern says so that she walked through through the grass, and there was a sick triceratops lying on the ground. She's like, there is no acting in that scene. That is the first take. There is no acting. And I was terrified. There is no acting because there was a sick triceratops on the ground and it was real. That's so cool. And I'm like, that's why you use it because it makes it makes everyone's job easier. So much the, easier. And, you know, it's like you're already working so hard to pretend that you don't see the cameras. Yeah. You don't see the, you know, the lighting people that you haven't just had someone dab makeup on your face. Right. And why add that extra layer when you can have someone there creating something and and performing with you? Sure. It's the perfect way to think about it in the sense that if you're acting with, you know, a tennis ball, then you're acting and reacting. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You're doing it all. 
Um, well, how do you feel like your your love of puppetry has influenced you? Uh, usually I ask how it's influenced you creatively. Obviously, this is a, a creative art, but we can talk about how it's influenced your the other creative endeavors that you have. Sure. Um, so, so I'm also, you know... For the people who have never heard of me, um, I'm also a writer, uh, and the and basically I had like a twenty twenty five year career. I've had a twenty somewhere in there year career as a puppeteer, and my job has been um, you know dealing with the most of it has been dealing with live audience mm-hmm. and taking an inanimate object and attempting to convince people that it's real. So as a writer, my job is to take words on a page and get you to build an image in your head. So in both cases, I am relying on an investment from my audience. Hmm. And that back and forth between that that conversation that is happening between the person who is telling the story and the people who are receiving the story, that that's it's not it's not a static thing. There it's not passive. This is a it's a conversation that's happening. It's amazing that those seemingly are two really separate endeavors in terms of creation Mm -hmm. because it's like the puppetry is so visual Mm -hmm. and and subtleties and emotions and you know putting that those kinds of things into words is this totally different yeah but in a lot of ways so in the simplest form um or, or one of the simplest examples um my job as a puppeteer is to take the body language that we do naturally without thinking about it, break it apart, and then reinterpret it with an inanimate object. Yeah. As a writer, my job is to take the body language that we do <laughs> naturally and unconsciously, recognize it, and record it in both cases so that my reader can put it back together that again. That makes perfect sense. So it's really... Uh, seemingly different, but a lot of the same tendencies. Of yeah, yeah. There's a there's a thing that we say in puppetry. Uh, focus indicates thought. There, there. Mm. Um, and you know what your puppet is looking at is what your puppet is thinking about. And this is true in writing as well. Um, what you're, if particularly if you're looking at a tight third person or first person, what your character is noticing, what they're focusing on, is the thing that is most important to them in that moment. And you see people go wrong with this a lot. Hmm. Um, Here is an example of a a paraphrased, but of a thing I I read. Um, As the aliens approached from behind him, he jumped into a 57 Chevy to try to get away. The 57 Chevy's seats stuck to the back of his legs the way the seats used to when he was a small child going blueberry picking with his parents. He remembered those days well with the birds wheeling over. And I'm like, there are aliens attacking you right now. Why? These are great sensory details. You are not thinking about picking blueberries. That is so not what's going on. Or it is, and that tells me a lot about your character. Right. But I don't think that's what's happening. Is that really what you were going for? No, that was really not what they were going for. (laughs) So it's that kind of thing. It's, you know, that, that specific principle of puppetry, focus indicates thought, has informed the way, like, when I am writing narration... When I'm doing exposition, I'm like, what is my character thinking about right now? Where is their head? What is the most important thing for them? And one of the the other things 
that that's related is there's this this order of information. Um, one of the differences between writing and, and puppetry is that I'm relying on my audience to build an image one word at a time. So the order in which I present those words becomes really important. Sure. But it's... It, it's yeah, I didn't even think, of, even if you're just working your way through a sentence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so like one of the... And it kind of goes back to the left right yeah exactly it completely does mm-hmm. we there's um the the like one of the examples that i use when i'm i'm teaching writing is um if you're in a, if you're in a theater and you know you know, let's say it's this really experimental theater um but there's a single light and and the single light hits a pool of red liquid on the stage floor and you're like oh blood, blood. this is going to be a murder mystery yeah and then it pans over Pans over and it shows you a can of Kool-Aid tipped on its side. And you're like, oh, no, I was wrong. Not a murder mystery. Someone's just dropped something in the kitchen. Uh-huh. And it pans a little bit farther and then it shows you a bloody knife. Uh-huh. And you're like, no, I was right the first time. <sighs> if they had started on the bloody knife uh-huh. and then gone to the can of Kool-Aid and then gone to the pool of red liquid, then you're like, someone was stabbed. They dropped the can of Kool-Aid and it's and we're looking at a combination of blood and Kool-Aid on the floor. Right. So and that's and there's an, never any mystery to there's it. There's never any mystery. It's an order of information thing. So if you want the audience to have that weird back and forth, it sh- depends on how you order it. Exactly. That's really cool. It makes and a lot of sense. And that is that's a focus thing. Mm-hmm. And and presenting, you know, what things do you want the audience to notice first? Yeah. Yeah. Man. This has been so wonderful. Thank you for inviting me. This is a lot of fun. Thank you for doing it. And you know the digs, too, so that makes it a little easier sometimes. It totally does. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't going to miss out on another opportunity for a great conversation. I will (laughs) happily talk with you anytime. I'll have to find, like, new fun ways now that I I have this one out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Mary Robinette. I love you, and I mean it. Thank you, Mary Beth. Likewise. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.